Welcome to our podcast where we talk about everything there is to talk about from an LGBTQIA lens from across two places in Southeast Asia. I'm D for Death Drop. And I'm O for Opulence. You own everything. And this is Queer from the Straits. So welcome everyone to this week's podcast, episode seven on drag culture. Um, this week we have a very special guest with us. Um, she has been quoted by South China Morning Post as Singapore's most outspoken drag queen. Uh, so we have Becca the Bus with us today. Hi, Becca. Hello. How are you? Wow, that's a very sultry voice. I'm kind of turned on. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's my, that's my singular goal in life, just randomly turn on people. <laughs> and obviously we've got D as well on the line. Hi, D. Hey, how's it going? I- I'm good. How are you, Becca? Uh, I'm good. I'm, I'm not be offended that we're referring to D just as as well. Oh, <laughs> sorry. Because like, you know... I mean... Uh, you're I the special a- guest. <laughs> I, I, I'm happy to be special, but I'm just saying that, like, you know, let's make space for, let's make space for allegedly women. Okay. <laughs> I will make space for them in my, um, not in my marital bed, but in, in, in other parts of my, in my life, for sure. <laughs> we're getting um, married, though. Remember, we're supposed to get married yes. when we're 60. Um, yeah, we're 60. <laughs> D, between you and me, these kinds of things don't say in public. <laughs> Because, my God, at 60, if you don't want, you're, like, kind of screwed. (laughs) I'm trying to hold... Well, yeah, I'm trying to hold him to it because, like, he... um, Yeah, like, we we had an earlier agreement, which, like, I, you know, I was like, no, let's, like, let's, let's both try and find love. And then, like... After a while, I was like, you know, like, oh, has a better job than me. Like, I should, we should, I should lock this down. Uh, um, for, for now, for and, now, I have a better job, yeah. but it might not last. So. <laughs> well, we'll see. Yeah, we, nothing is certain <laughs> in 2020 exactly. and beyond. Um, so, yeah, I yeah, mean, but, um, Becca, for the uninitiated, yes. for those who don't know who you are or, you know, what you do, do you want to provide a short introduction to our listeners? Um, well, I, I think you, you did a pretty good job uh, <laughs> in saying the nicest things about me. So uh, it is true that South China Morning Post did call me uh, Singapore's most outspoken drag queen. I don't know if that's true, um, to be honest. Uh, I'm definitely Singapore's biggest drag queen. Um, <laughs> It's, I mean, that, that, that would be uh, an undisputed fact at this point. I don't think there's anybody like physically larger than me mm-hmm. uh, doing drag. Mm-hmm. Um, I am the producer and host of a show called Riot, which happened in times outside of COVID. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm currently producing a project called Cover Your Pie Hole, which mm-hmm. is um, essentially a range of face masks that I've made uh, out of materials that were originally uh, purchased to become my costumes, but you know, COVID happened. And so uh, I just now have piles of fabric that uh, deserve to be um, on people's faces. Love it. I mean, I've seen a couple nice. of them on your Instagram. They look really, but the fabrics, where'd you get them from? Are they 
locally sourced in Singapore? Or I mean, import? yes, they are. But like, lo- what what on earth does locally sourced mean in the case <laughs> of Singapore? Like, we don't really have fabric mills in Singapore, so I I I can't. I can't vouch for like where where on earth they were, you know, these fabrics were manufactured. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I bought them all. In, I bought them all in Singapore over the last few years, and they've just been in storage, and and now they they come out and play lah. Um, yeah. Great. And you know, while you know, on the topic of COVID, maybe we can mm. kind of start on like you know, how the pandemic has kind of affected, you know, your profession um, in the last couple of months and obviously currently as well. Um, has there been any sort of drag shows at all in Singapore that you've done? Mm. So I think it's, uh, first of all, I should say, I, I find it really fascinating that uh, we all talk about COVID as the last couple of months and the reality has been like seven months since mm. it's shut down. Um, it's yes. more than half a year so far. True. Um, and you know, and that, that's just to say that actually, uh, um, it's. I, I feel I, I feel like we've experienced this as waves of intensity. So we we've, we've experienced intensity in um, in sort of phases, right? So at the beginning, there was that kind of like everything's been shut down, and um, just what are we going to do? And I think that a lot of the energy that was that we saw in drag in Singapore was just sort of like, oh, well, I guess we're at home and we're just going to spend a lot of time in like, you know, hanging out on Zoom or house party or whatever, or whatever platform you were, you were hanging out on. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of like WhatsApp video calls and, and that sort of thing, right? And mm-hmm. it wasn't particularly quote unquote productive. And actually a lot of that time was, for me, was spent around um, just sort of navigating what was uh, like really sort of like bread and butter, like, what are what 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 are the kinds of like monetary aid that are available mm-hmm. um, to myself and also to other uh, performers, drag performers in Singapore who perhaps are not as connected to um, uh, connected to the information, if you will. Um, in I I I think that people in Singapore haven't really um, super committed to the idea of doing drag online. And a part mm. of it is that actually in the Singapore scene, there are very, very few of us who make our living from drag, right? As opposed, which is different than the scene you have, say, in the US and, um, and parts of the UK, for instance, or the Philippines, where, where um, it is the primary source of income for, for, for some folks. And so there was, a, there was kind of like a very urgent push to move their performances into the digital space. That isn't as true in Singapore. In my last count, there were like, six of us who are for whom drag was our primary source of income that's not a lot really mm-hmm. um and i think there are also challenges to moving digital drag into a digital space for instance you have to be able to literally get in drag at home and uh you'd have to be equipped to do that and that's not true of everybody either so there are a lot of there are a lot there are a bunch of performers in singapore who uh do not live in do not have living situations where um, they could be getting into drag at home, you know, um, uh, because of their families or, or, or whatever it is. Um, so it, it it hasn't been such a huge thing in Singapore, and that been there definitely have been people who've done it. Uh, Taboo Club runs a monthly drag show on their on their YouTube, uh, yeah, and it's just put out as a YouTube thing. Um, 
some parties have put have some some sort of like Zoom parties have had drag queens involved in them, um, but actually the the sort of digital drag stuff that I've done has mostly been with like international like show like shows out of the U.S. for instance, which is you know mm. maybe the sort of the kind of big uh, opportunity that this has offered right is that we are you get to be in a show with performers who aren't physically in your, in your geographical space, uh, which is kind of cool. Um, but to be honest, for me, the digital drag show uh, is a form that feels very, how do I say? Um, I, have, I have just found it to be really depressing. I yeah. have found it to be really mm-hmm. the ultimate, the, the the one thing that has made me miss being on stage with real people. Mm. <laughs> more, than, more than sort of like, you know, quench that thirst or feed that hunger, it has uh, intensified that sensation. And so I haven't really avoided, I haven't really invo- avoided this kind of work, but I also haven't really seeked it out. Because I just don't, I, do, I don't right. find, I don't, my, I don't find myself in this space uh in a way being enriching necessarily uh, for an audience. I mean, I've, I've done it, I've also done it in a kind of like corporate setting. And I think it works a little bit more in that situation because people know each other on, at these shows and yeah. there's a different kind of context to that. Um, so yeah, that's a very long answer to actually quite a simple question, but there you go. Um, so how are you, I guess, are you performing at all if you're not are there I mean it's the situation in Singapore is a bit different than it is in Malaysia like is it possible to do physically distanced performances right now or is it still uh, is that kind of thing still not on um so I think that's that's a very interesting thing because I think I was just talking with this with about this with a bunch of uh, friends yesterday um so there have been new guidelines that have been released by the National Arts Council um Mm -hmm. And it's possible to do it's possible to do a live performance in approved venues, and the list of approved venues are essentially theaters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has been zero work to imagine the possibilities of how to do this stuff in any other kinds of spaces, which I think is a failure of the council. To be, if I was being very, very frank, right. um, you have. I, I, I mean, we're in a situation where we they've essentially just said that you can't do live performance where food and beverage is served because and and then there's a whole series of reasons that um frankly to me read like a complete misunderstanding of uh what happens when you have live performance in these spaces um but you know ultimately it's a it's it's one of these things where uh i think i think those of us who are not performing in quote-unquote art spaces whatever the hell that means um just have to contend with the fact that as far as this uh, country is concerned, as far as these uh, bodies, uh, you know, the, yeah, these, these statutory bodies, these bodies are concerned, um, mm. we're just not a priority. Lah. Yeah. You know, and, that's, and that, that's, that's the kind of bottom line. And I, and, um, and I think a, a bunch of them will vehemently disagree and, and, uh, and would like you to know that they are that they are very interested in SG culture everywhere, but it's all bullshit. Yeah, but I, I, is the National Art Council sort of giving any financial assistance to no. anyone? Okay. So yeah, no, that's that's untrue. So the National Arts Council's for initial response to 
the pandemic was a series of uh, grants, which actually some of them were were actually quite progressive. So there was this whole thing about like, uh, you know, offering people money to go uh, to acquire skills, for instance, uh, offering, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And actually that's quite progressive to, to give them full credit. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that they did, which was a bit more open to practitioners, was to create this thing called the Digital Presentation Grant, which uh, offered up to $20,000 for you to create um, digital projects. The caveat okay. was that, or the caveat was because it's closed now, the caveat was that the, whatever, whatever it was you were creating had to uh, have a G rating. Right. Which is, you know, sounds fair on paper. I should just clarify that my my queer ass drag face is already in itself reasons to not have a G rating. So, you know, and, and <sighs> this has been defended. This has been defended in Parliament. Uh, uh, right. Because because it is government funding that, and because it's the digital space, we can't control who sees it. Despite the fact that you know it's obviously true that something like Netflix, for example, or for that matter, OnlyFans, um, is very very wow. much capable of of controlling who sees it, right? Uh, yeah. But yet again, it's it's a it, it's another it's just another example of how these institutions are completely out of touch. And I mean, I guess that 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 that's like a tension as well. Like, um, what's art, right? Like, I um, you can't see me, but I'm like making air quotes with my fingers around art. Like that, something like drag, I think, is not seen as art by the people who give out grants. Um, yeah, it's like you know, like you said, theaters are the place. So like a play is art or maybe a ballet is art, but not drag. Um, and I guess it, it it hasn't been considered art by the mainstream, not just in Singapore and Southeast Asia, but like in other contexts too. Like, I think it's only more recently that people are starting to see that drag is an art form, right? Um, and, actually, I just want to, yeah. I want to, I just, I, I actually want to correct that a little bit. First of all, I don't think the word to, I don't think it's accurate to call this attention. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't think there is a tension. I think there's a quite concerted effort to not recognize that culture happens in places much more than those that are funded by the council, right? Mm-hmm. That's not that's that, there's there's no tension there. That's that's that that's a that's a grab at legitimacy for an institu- for an institution that has uh, repeatedly lost its legitimacy by way of the by way of the kinds of funding. Um, restrictions that it has placed on artists and uh, and cultural workers. The, the other thing that I would say is that this idea that drag is somehow uh, not uh, considered art by the mainstream is something that you only land on if you believe that an institution of the government which doesn't actual that isn't actually in touch with what's happening in the in the city that it works for um, is the mainstream, and we know that it's not. It has right. it has repeatedly demonstrated that it is not the mainstream. Yeah. Uh, so I, that, that, those are the two things that I would say. I mean, I, I I get what I get what you're getting at, but I'm just saying that I think that. Some of the language that we use around this stuff is perhaps a little bit too kind. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think those are important clarifications. Yeah, I guess um, that 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 there is a, a concerted effort. I mean, you, you know, like in it's a bit different in Malaysia where we don't really have a lot of funding. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we definitely wouldn't be able to have funding for a, a drag show like no way um <laughs> but you but know the, even, but even more is, right but the point is that i don't think that i've ever looked for funding for a drag show yeah. from mm-hmm. the council right the point the, exactly. but this is the yeah. point it's that actually actually there's a lot of culture that happens without funding from the state correct you know whether or not it's because we could possibly get funding from the state it's a different conversation but i have mm-hmm. i i have never seek funding from the state to make a drag show this is you know like i produce riot and and i also produce the glory holes present at the projector both of these things have never looked to the government for funding yeah you know they've always been funded by the people who go to it but we are yeah. now in a situation where that doesn't exist anymore we we right. then have we then have a body that says they're trying to like support culture just not culture that is meant for anybody older than 12. Yeah. <laughs> right. So maybe, yeah, I think that's that's an interesting point to make. So maybe maybe taking a step back, you know, from your perspective, mm-hmm. like what is drag culture? Like from your point of view, because I know, you know, with, you know, the <laughs> proliferation of, you know, drag race, you know, globally, I think there is a very limited understanding of what drag is, right? I think in its and in my view, in a purest form, it's a form of gender expression is how I would term it. But I'll be interested to know, you know, you know, in its purest form, what does drag mean to you um, in that sense? Hmm. Um, so I think that I, 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 I lean on a, on a definition of drag that I concocted a while ago when... Mm-hmm. Um, when I sort of like guest taught a class in some university in, in Boston, which was that, which is that uh, drag is a heightened performance of gender for entertainment mm-hmm. in which the performed gender is different than the assumed lived gender of the performer. Yes. Um, and I think that for the most part, I still stand by that. I uh, I think that I think there are definitely exceptions to that kind of a definition. So, for instance, um, I'm not sure where we place it. You know, if we were to hold that, if we were to hold that definition, um, it doesn't necessarily make room for a cisgender woman doing feminine drag in mm-hmm. which we don't assume that she's a that it's a woman under the drag, for instance. Yeah. Um, but actually, that having said that, I don't think that I've seen very many examples of um, of cis women doing drag, or even trans women doing drag, uh, but specifically cis women doing drag, in which um, there isn't some ambiguity about the gender of the performer under the drag. Yeah, and is that are you speaking from a Singapore perspective or? I, I mean, like almost any example of the stuff that I've seen anywhere. Um, right. Like I actually can't think of a I I can't think of a cis of an example of a cis woman who does drag in which, um, their in which their lived 
you know, their lived experience or their lived gender identity is not ambiguous, at least. Mm. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, that at, at, its, at its very base, that, that, that's what it is. Now, the, the question that I think you, uh, maybe you're getting at or uh, is perhaps more um, important in this case is really a question of like, then why drag, right? Like, why is this different than, say, theater or any other kind of like live performance? Performance art. And, yeah. and I think that I mean, it, there's a very critical thing that happens in drag, which is very different, actually, than drag race, which is, for me, an example of why I think that drag race is perhaps a little bit uh, problematic. And that is that it's, it's um, for the most part, wherever it is practiced, drag is... Uh, it's a working class art form, right? Mm -hmm. For the most part, people don't go to school to learn how to do drag. People don't, um, you know, you, you don't, one does not graduate with a BFA or an MFA in drag from in drag. Juilliard. In drag, yeah. yeah. Uh, that does not happen. But that, what that means is that actually the sort of um, barrier entry is a lot lower right like one isn't spending how many thousand dollars to get an education in it first of all that's not to say that drag is inexpensive to do right makeup costs money costumes cost money you know all that's true but actually if somebody just wants to start doing it and you know go to a club if they're of age or even if they're not and um sort of get themselves out there if you will um it's it's actually very accessible it's it's it, one one can do that right the barrier the barriers to entry are how do you ingratiate yourself into the culture but but that's it it's not about money necessarily yeah um and there are other forms that uh that are like that as well right so burlesque is a little bit like that mm -hmm. um being a go-go dancer is a little bit like that. There are, there, are all these, there are all these forms that, you know, maybe we can call like quite popular entertainment forms or whatever that is uh, not about years and years of training. Um, and and you, will, you will note uh, as a kind of reference to, the, to what we we're talking about just before this, um, those, the, the, these sorts of forms that you train forever in are exactly the kinds of the kinds of forms that like uh, something like the National Arts Council wants to get involved with, right? Like that, that's that's where that's where the line actually is if you think about it, uh, yeah. Or if you if you frame it in that way. So, um, for me, this idea of the working class and the kind of uh, lower barrier entry and the and the kind of queerness that, that drag is about is is are, are the kind of building blocks of what drag culture might be anywhere you go right like an like an accessible um way for people to play with gender and and entertain and yeah and and, and also in some in, in some cases like say some quite critical things yeah i was i was reading um yeah, I was reading the SEMP article where you you were saying that like at riot you know um that people do get political with their drag. And I think like, yeah, like I think perhaps because of the popularity of RuPaul, um, like that kind of drag isn't so much 
what people are thinking of when they think of drag actually, lately. Um, actually, I was going to say, actually, I'm sorry, sorry to cut you off, but actually, um, not to be like so um, contradictory, but actually you see quite a bit of that in RuPaul's Drag Race nowadays, right? So you, you have a bunch of performers who uh, either were quite political while they were on the show um, mm-hmm. or have become quite political after they've, after they've become famous on the show. So performers like Aquaria, for example, has a Twitter that is like has a Twitter feed that is like all at least during during the Black Lives Matter protests was like Black Lives Matter twenty four seven, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you have people like Bob the Drag Queen and, and and Peppermint who are who are very outspoken about their politics, um, yeah. and and also include that in their performance work. So. Um, so in, in a way, in a city like Singapore, where the drag scene can be quite apolitical, um, in a way, uh, what Drag Race has done is open up the possibility that your work can be political for some, for some folks. And it, it, it's opened up the possibility of that something worth exploring in their work. Um, so I, I, guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make is just that the relationship to Drag Race is different depending on where you are, just because drag scenes are different wherever you are. And how, what do you think, you know, I know we're talking about COVID. Um, actually, we're still in COVID, we're still in the pandemic. Uh, and obviously, you know, Dee and I talked about this last week um, in the episode we've not released yet while we do this recording with you on mental health. So we were kind of, you know, discussing with a friend of ours, um, we probably won't see a vaccine until probably early of next year, probably mid next mm-hmm. year. Um, so, you know, just looking, you know, in the short term future. And, and, and also know. more specifically, we might see a vaccine, but we might not all be able to get it. Yes. Right. And if you do, then you probably need a booster shot anyway. So it's like you get one, but you, then you actually need another one or another mm-hmm. one, depending on the strain and stuff. Right. So there is like a long protracted process that I think we can all kind of surmise it's going to take at least one or two years. Um, and, you know, just with that view how do you think the i hate the word future of drag but how do you think the drag scene will in singapore will evolve in that space given all these circumstances i mean i think the short answer is i don't know um Mm -hmm. i i the possibility the possibility okay first of all um the fact that in a space like Singapore, where you have a government that is so in thrall of like um, homophobic forces, the fact that you have drag performers and a, and a drag scene and, and um, a drag culture would suggest that um, drag isn't looking to be allowed to be to exist in order to exist. I'm not. Right. I'm not. I'm, and, I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure that if that's clear, if that makes sense. But like. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I, I haven't um, met very many drag queens who've like asked for permission. Right. Well, I guess <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah. The context is like you're in Singapore. I, I guess I want to go back a little bit and just like you know, for listeners who are not in Singapore, mm. like what is the Singapore drag scene like? So one thing you mentioned is like you know it it could tend to be like kind of apolitical until maybe like 
um, some of the more political performers on RuPaul's drag show, um, like, like, you know, maybe opened up that idea that you could be political with your drag. Um, what what are maybe inspire like? Do you see like local locally inspired drag? Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah. What 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 are the influences and um, right. okay. what what does a, a drag show look like in Singapore? I guess. So I I think I should maybe just like clarify what I was saying earlier. I don't think it is that I don't think it is that prior to Drag Race, people were not political in their drag in Singapore. And I know that I, I kind of said that, but I, I just want to be clear about what I mean when I say that. Um, mm-hmm. It's I, I think what I think that one of the things that uh, that some of the performers on Drag Race or some of the performers that Drag Race has uh, sort of highlighted for the world, what they've the the sort of creative opportunity, the creative strategy that they've sort of opened up is that you know um, beyond just the politics of uh, of gender that's inherent in drag. So, I mean, I think it's impossible. So first of all, I should say, I think it's impossible to be in drag and not be political um, just because of what it is, right? It's it's very, um, like just this idea that people are are, uh, intentionally like crossing gender lines in in how they dress and perform is in and of itself like political. And I think that's important to say because I think that prior, my sense is that prior to some of the some of the kinds of performance that we that we've seen in Drag Race, um, being political in drag meant that you were going to actually verbalize something about power, right? So you were going to actually crack a joke about like race relations in Singapore, or you're going to crack a joke about the ruling party, or you're going to crack a joke, you know, whatever it is. And just in Singapore, mm-hmm. have you seen like an increase in the sort of the political performances? Um, I mean, pre-COVID, obviously, um, that has just come up. I mean, or... even during COVID with digital stuff. Um, I don't know if the I don't know if the words inc- I don't know if it's about an increase because also to an extent prior to riot, there were not very mm-hmm. many opportunities for a performer to do just whatever the hell they want to do. Correct. You know what I mean? So in a lot of the kind of platforms that drag happens in, the content of performance was uh, much more, was very frequently much more uh, prescribed by organizers or, uh, yeah, by organizers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah. in that in that situation, there's not actually that much space for you to be like, this is about racism. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you provide that in, no, not you, but like the riot like show provides that platform right because i was reading the article as well and you know it does mention and you can correct us uh if we are mistaken or if it has changed since then but you know there are only two things you need to do to be a part of the riot show which is you have to lip sync and you have to perform a musical number if that's correct and then whatever else uh, i mean i think there's a there's there's a there's a more critical third thing which is like i have to not think that you suck no, that's mean. That's mean. <laughs> but I have to. I, I mean, have to I mean, that's a given. I have to actually. Let me rephrase that. Actually, what I mean is, I have to be somehow interested in your point of view. Right. Right. And you don't kind of okay. Yeah, so if okay, let's say three rules all pass. Do you then kind of give them carte blanche, you know, to do the performance that they want? Um, or is there 
you know, some sort of process that you go through with them, you know, especially if they're a rising, you know, you know, some budding drag queen, if you will, um, in the scene? Or do you just kind of give them that space to express it? Um, I, I, they do whatever they want. Okay. We, yeah, I mean, we might have, we, we might end up in like weird, like technical conversations. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like the girl that yeah, wanted yeah, yeah. to like pour water in her audience was essentially told to like, please go do it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's an example of that? Like, you know, of, of this new possibility of doing political drag? So we so we presented years ago. I I, I presented actually fifty, uh, who um, is a a drag queen in Singapore, um, also a playwright, mm-hmm. um, and you know she did she did a number where, and this was kind of at the at the height of the of this whole city harvest um, debacle, right? The the yeah. whole city harvest scandal. Mm-hmm. So she makes a performance where she comes on stage looking very, you know, very pious and um, lip syncs some hymn about it, uh, about it all being for you and for Jesus and and all that. And then like, and then the music cuts halfway and it it it, it it's mixed with like um, Rihanna's "Bitch Better Have My Money," oh. and she proceeds to like pass a basket around uh, you know for people to tithe wait there was no china wine as a song i'm uh, surprised i mean i think people and but that's the thing like i think people have done china wine in, in right in all these other contexts right but but that's what i mean like it, it, she didn't even have to say it was about city harvest for us to all know it was about city harvest she yeah. did it you, you know what i mean um yeah there have also been performers who've insisted on, you know, doing music and replicating uh, some of the imagery from videos like, from performers like Beyonce about blackness and brownness, in which um, they had inserted uh, Malena's as an example of brownness, right? Um, and, and, and I think that that perhaps is an, another example of this stuff, or sort of like uh, suggesting that there are contexts or that there are, that that there are resonances uh, for this sort of stuff uh, that are actually local or important to the local space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that sounds amazing. Um, I would love to see that City Harvest performance. (laughs) I don't think we have it on video. And actually it was kind of like, you know, it it was fun. Yeah, I can. yeah, it sounds really fun. I mean, um, in one of the articles, I think it was Nylon, or maybe it was SCMP. I think you mentioned there was a Crazy Rich Asian performance as well, which was... Yeah, this was also actually 50, who, you know, does like the Crazy Rich Asians, um, perform- the the song from Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Um, dressed, as a, dressed as a Samsung woman. Yeah. Um, it, it's stuff like this where, you know, I, I think that this kind of... This way of thinking about um, what's possible within a drag number—it's not necessarily new or whatever—but you you see it, you see it now, and you see that there's a kind of there's also now a value in sort of thinking yeah. about what is happening um, and subverting some of that stuff or you know whatever it is. Yeah. Do you think it's also? I mean, moving from sort of the performer side, do you think maybe there is a? I want to say there's a higher consciousness within the audience to kind of 
be more accepting of these messages? Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. Okay, so I can't speak for all audiences. Mm-hmm. I can speak for who comes to Riot, right? Um, and I, and I think that's the, yeah. I think I can speak for who comes to Riot. And mm-hmm. who comes to Riot? People who are interested in who I am and interested mm-hmm. in who the performers are and the kind of space that I've created within Riot. Um, and so I think that audience is kind of like tuned into this kind to, um, in, yeah, tuned into these these kinds of aesthetics or these kind or, or or rather an aesthetic of like diversity of drag approaches on stage. Um, I don't think people who come to Riot are general generally come to Riot thinking that you know a drag queen is necessarily beautiful because obviously like I host it and obviously they accept that. <laughs> I think you're beautiful. I think I'm beautiful too. The rest of the most of the rest of the world doesn't. Let's just, let's just be honest. <laughs> they can fuck themselves. Um, it's true, and they we'll probably edit do. That out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but actually, just one sort of um, question on the audience: Have you seen a difference recently? Or, I mean, in the lead up uh, before COVID, um, that's in the, the demographics of audience. Have you seen a change in it? Um, any interesting observations from that? At um, Riot? So the thing is that from the very beginning, Riot's audience was not super queer, as in right. like, we've always had quite a lot of straight people in the audience. Okay. And part of that was that we have never been in we've never done the show in uh, in what's generally called a queer venue. Mm. Right? Like, so I don't, it doesn't happen in gay clubs, for example. Yeah. So it's, it's it, so, when, so from the first time we did Riot in 2015, um, what I said to all my fellow performers was, I'm sure you have friends who want to come see you, but like, they're not go to a gay club. This is for them. Interesting. Okay. You, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure yeah. that I'm sure there are straight dollars out there. Let's earn them. Uh, and so Riot's always been that way. I think that, I think the, the, if there is a kind of shift it, or, you know, if that's a particular trend to talk about, it's that when you buy a ticket for Riot on, online, you, you are asked how you heard about the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was pretty consistent from the time we were at, from the time we started at Harold Cafe, which was different than before, um, that there would be at, every night there would be like a, at least a handful of people who would say, Oh, I was just Googling drag in Singapore or, Oh, um, I was just looking for a fun thing to do, mm. which would suggest that they have actually no idea what the hell they were stepping into. <laughs> makes me right. feel a little bit sorry for them a little bit, but you know, there you go. Um, so yeah, I, I, th- that's what I'll say. I, I was going to say one other thing about um, the question that you asked earlier about um, a kind of, politicization of the or, or kind of like political content in drag i also think it's important to acknowledge that riot is not the first drag show in singapore it's the first i think it's currently the only drag review mm-hmm. but um but i don't think you can talk about drag in singapore I, or I don't think you can legitimately talk about drag in singapore and not acknowledge that um there's a performer named kumar who is like a bigger deal than the rest of us Right. And has been doing drag in Singapore for like years. As yeah. in when I was like a late teen, I was going to see Kumar at the Boom Boom Room. And Kumar's yeah. stuff has always been uh, and I mean Kumar nowadays does more stand up than than anything else. Most of most of what she does is stand up. And her mm-hmm. stuff is actually very much about politics and, and race and, and all that stuff. So so the which is why I was which is why I was earlier saying that the idea that 
drag wasn't political before this is not precisely accurate. And Kumar is like pretty famous in Malaysia too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she does shows here as well. And yeah, I think more more stand up, but also I, I think she's done her stand up in drag too here, like yes. for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, and, and, and it, it, it is like political, like her stand up is political too. So yeah, I, like, I guess it's, yeah, it's always there, right? Mm -hmm. um, does she still perform? I haven't seen her in yeah, a while. Yeah, she does. She has a, yeah. I mean, last, not in the last seven months. <laughs> but yes, she does. Um, I know we are kind of running out of time, but I just want to, this, this last section of the podcast, sure. maybe speak a bit more on, you know, we talked about RuPaul's Drag Race. I should just um, let you know that I've taken my clothes off. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Great. That's a visual that I definitely needed on, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Sure. <laughs> oh my God. Oh. <laughs> I'm joking. You know, I know, I know. You know, <laughs> I, I should just say like the, 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 these are like the up, these are all the upsides of like a podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Definitely. Exactly. Um. What do you want to say? Yeah. So I mean, we we spoke about um RuPaul's Drag Race obviously throughout this podcast. We've touched on it here and there. Mm. Um. But I just wanna you know and obviously you know like I mentioned the proliferation of RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, it's been what. 12 seasons the main seasons you've got mm -hmm. all stars you've got the international versions you know they first came to thailand there's two seasons there they're now in uk canada i think now it's in netherlands mm -hmm. so you know on and you meant you you know you touched on this earlier where you mentioned that you know the rupaul's right might be problematic i just want to you know have a conversation on that like how has that changed um as in the show itself how has that changed of the local drag scene in singapore i think the important thing to understand about drag race is that it is a tv show mm -hmm. that is a it is it is a tv show that packages drag for a tv audience right yes. This is this is the most important thing to understand about drag race. It is not right. it is not the entirety of drag. It is mm -hmm. not um uh in a sense it is not drag itself, right? It, it, in a sense it is a reality TV show. This is this yes. is important to understand before you can say anything else. Um so for for me sometimes I I feel like this question that you're asking like how is how is drag race problematic? It's really a question of like how is popular culture problematic? How mm -hmm. is like uh how is um TV problematic? Well, it's problematic in a way that um you know it 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 wildly celebrates um it wildly celebrates capitalism and consumerism. Um, it wildly separates it wildly celebrates surface beauty over all else, mm -hmm. um or surface aesthetics over all else. Um, it it really simplifies everything into very digestible storylines. Um, so, the, the, so these are the things that these are the, these are all like dimensions of Drag Race that are just functions of it being a TV show. Frankly, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the problem is when you try and take that and you say like, "Oh, now I'm going to think about like drag as it happens in real life in these terms," mm -hmm. and that's not the fault of the TV show. That's the fault of like an audience that. Um, can't separate TV from reality, essentially. Right. Um, the implications of that, on on on, a, on in in my mind, in terms of drag, is that you you see people spending more and more and more money on their drag, 
right? The idea of spending hundreds of dollars on a wig, the idea of spending like hundreds of dollars on like makeup. Uh, and and I, I should also say that the hundreds of dollars of makeup is as much about Drag Race as it is about um, the the kind of like wild expansion of beauty as a, di- as a digital content form, right? So like on YouTube, the number of like yeah. makeup beauty gurus and, and, and all that, many of whom now have like makeup collaborations. So if you're yeah. a fan of them, you feel obliged to buy. Um, like all those things are working in concert. Is that all necessarily about Drag Race? No, but I mean, I, I would say that I, I think it would be reasonable to suggest that Drag Race is a part of that culture, lah, you, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, because Drag Race is a TV show, it is meant to hit an audience that is much wider than you would ever get in a club, right? And so mm-hmm. you now have a lot more people getting an initial taste of drag who would otherwise never have had a taste of drag. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of changes what people get out of drag. So, I mean, if you're only seeing drag in the context of a gay club, then your drag queens have a position, your, your drag queens represent something specific in that context that is maybe a little bit different than if you were to think of a drag queen as like something you see on Instagram all the time. You know? Right. Yeah. And, and, and like, I mean, how would you, I mean, like, you know, you, you were talking earlier about like how, you know, drag is like accessible and like a working class art form and Mm -hmm. that like you don't have to spend hundreds of dollars. Um, How did you kind of come to drag um, and, and, and how would you define your own drag aesthetic? Mm. Um, so I came to drag because I, so I worked in a queer theater company. I left when I finished college in 2004, when I graduated, I thought I was going to be a performance. I thought I wanted to be a performance artist, which mm-hmm. feels funny to say now, but whatever it is, that was the truth. And you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, I interned and then worked at a queer theater company. And the first project I did in this queer theater company called the theater offensive was a project called a street theater named desire which was a guerrilla AIDS uh, activist performance troupe that did work in cruising areas in partnership with um, public health agencies. So we were making performance, we were making short guerrilla performances about, uh, you know, HIV and HIV infection or, um, you know, other kinds of sexual health that are relevant to the context of public sex. Um, right where public sex was happening. Um, and in order <laughs> to do that, uh, we had to learn how to be, we had to learn how to be, uh, to do the safer sex and AIDS outreach in clubs and bars, which involved talking to people about their risks. And um, we weren't very effective at it because uh, people generally just didn't want to tell us things. Like, I mean, like, you know, yeah. you don't randomly go to a bar and be like, yeah, my wrists are syphilis or whatever. Um, <laughs> Uh, especially if you think that somebody's trying to sleep with you, right? Um, <laughs> you, you don't generally get into that kind of conversation. Um, and so we tried going out and drag one night, and it was very effective. Uh, and the short story of that, and the shorter, the shortest version of that is like we did it one night, it was very effective, and then we kept doing it, and then I entered a few amateur contests, and that was that. And then I discovered that doing drag was a way in which I could like say things, at least in the, that scene in Boston, it was a way that I could make performances about stuff that I was interested in that mm-hmm. um, would at least pay for itself in a way that performance art wouldn't. 
Um, right. And so I just kept at it. So if I had to expl- if I had to like describe my um, aesthetic or what my drag is about, I tend to say that I am interested in wearing improbable things. Um, <laughs> I'm interested in a lot of color. Yeah. Um, and I think a part of what I'm also interested in, I'm interested in being funny and, and having fun and, and the pleasures of, of being funny and having fun. But I'm also, I guess, interested in um, enjoying my body on stage and like the kind of, uh, I think that there is a kind of political power in a fat body enjoying itself. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, that's where, that's where this culture is at. It's not, it's not actually very far, but there we go. Wow. Thank you. I mean, one last question just before we end the podcast. Just the last one. Just one. It's very simple. It's like, you know, I, you know, what can we expect from you in the next couple of months? <laughs> I know. It's, 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 you know, just to end. end in the end, next couple uh, of months, as yes. in before December. Uh, no, in the next, you know, three to six months. Like, do, do you have any plans okay. to do anything um, that you want to plug to our audience? <laughs> well, I mean, I think they should just support my mask project. It's called yeah. Cover Your Pie Hole. Yeah. Um, it is available at coveryourpiehole.bigcartel.com. Um, and I guess also just like look out for look out like follow me on Instagram and then you know like. What's your Instagram. What's your Instagram handle? Um, at Becca the Bus. Very straightforward. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's at uh, Becca B E C C A uh, D uh, Bus as in the mode of transportation. Um. Yeah, I, I, I was just say follow me on socials and then like uh, th- th- there's stuff happening that I can't speak of, <laughs> unfortunately. Okay. Um, yeah, I, thank you for coming on the show and, 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 and talking about like what it's, what drag is like in Singapore. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe next year coming to Singapore and maybe I'll be able to come to Riot and, and see some, like, a dragon person. Uh, we'll, we'd be very happy to have you. Yeah, I would love that. Great. All right, Becca, thank you so much. We'll Bang! Bye! Have a lovely right. day. Thanks, you too.